This morning in God's Word, we will be in the book of Matthew, uh, so the first book of the New Testament, um, and it's on page 811 in your Red Pew Bible, Matthew chapter 6. So we're going to read verses 1 through 8, and then we'll skip down a little bit to verse 14. Beginning in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father, who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now we're going to skip down to verses 14 through 18. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. And from the Old Testament, we have Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. It's on page 61 in your pew Bible. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the very word of God. Our memory verse today comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, and this is found on page 988 in the Red Pew Bible. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the very word of God. 
children, if you would like to join other children for a special time of worship, your teachers and your friends will meet you in the back. You are also very welcome to stay with us in worship if you choose. We will look forward to seeing you at the conclusion of our service. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you for these children. Thank you for the generations that are coming after us, God. Thank you for the amazing responsibility that you have given us to impart to them the things of faith, God. To impart to them a living, breathing relationship with a living God. Oh God, we just pray your richest blessing on them as they spend time in your word. And we pray that you would minister to us, God. That you would open our eyes and our ears to your presence here. And God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen? Oh my goodness. Well, we're continuing our study today of prayer and and just inviting you incrementally into a deeper experience of, of the living God through this gift of God to you in prayer. And our question to get us started today, our question is, how do we experience more of God? And in particular, I'm going to use a word that's hard for some of us, but in particular, how do we experience deeper intimacy with God? Now, I realize that not all of us are comfortable with that word, and I, and I understand that. Um, somewhere along the line, many of us risk deeper relationships with, with a human being, or maybe with an institution, or even with God. And, and it didn't turn out like we thought. And we learned very quickly that the best way to not get hurt is to not risk intimacy, right? And, and, and in a way, our hearts grew hard toward ourselves, toward others, toward even God sometimes. Because we didn't want to risk pain. We didn't want to risk getting hurt. The problem, as we've discovered with that, is that when you harden your heart to not experience pain, you then, then inadvertently harden it to experiencing love and experiencing joy and experiencing all the, the beautiful things that come from intimate relationships. And so I just want to invite you again. Let's risk together, even if for these moments, even if for these moments in this sanctuary, this safe place among friends, let's risk opening our heart to the living God together. How do we do that? I want to think in particular today, I know we're hitting passages that that you know very well and and that we've studied together, but I I just want to ask that question, how do we do this? And I want you to think in terms of a couple of simple things. We're on the threshold of the Lenten season, a time when oftentimes we think about, is there anything I need to let go of in my life right now? even if just for a season, so that I might experience deeper intimacy with God. There's some things that I need to cease, right? But there's some things I need to add, or, or today I want to encourage you, I need to, I need to ratchet up, I need to include in my life in an unceasing way. And I think in God's Word today, we see some gifts of God, things to leave behind, and, and things to embrace that deepen our experience of intimacy with God and, and through, through God with other people as well. So let's start by, by looking at that question. What do I need to cease, right? What do I need to cease? First of all, I want to encourage you 
Cease striving. Cease striving. Do you know that scripture? We, we memorized it as be still, Psalm 46.10, and know that I am God. The starting point is, is to cease our striving, to still our hearts so that, so that we can know, in other words, experience that, that He is God. Did you see the back half of that verse? He's going to be exalted. His purposes are going to go forth. He's going to transform lives. He's going to be lifted up before the nations. He's going to be lifted up over all the earth. So there's nothing that we can do that is going to somehow make that happen. God invites us to be still and know that I am God. But as we saw in our, in our Exodus passage, He also invites us to a rhythm of work and rest. And, and included in that rhythm is that sometimes we need to cease working and rest in Him. This passage might not have been familiar to you. You might not have noticed the context around it. But when God wanted to somehow summarize all the law and all the prophets, all the poetry, all the, the intimate communication that He had had with His people, when He wanted to summarize that in, in, in ten things, He gave us the Ten Commandments, right? And... And, and most of us would not consider willfully breaking one of those commands. Most of us would say, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And it's so fascinating to me that when a culture lets go of one of the commandments, right, or two of the commandments, or in our case, many of the commandments, most of the commandments, when a culture lets go of these, these very essential parts of intimacy with God, that culture begins to wander from God, and it's not long before that culture ends before the season of that culture ends. And so, so most of us, wanting to honor God with our life, we say, we don't even consider doing that, right? And yet, if you're like me, you break this one on a weekly basis, right? God gave us this amazing gift. Six days, he said. Six days, knock your lights out. Work. Provide for your needs, your family needs. Bless other people. For six days, do those things. But then in one day, one day a week, cease your work. Cease your work. And, and know that I am God. Cease your work and rest in me. All throughout the scriptures are this amazing invitation of God. In fact, it's a metaphor for, for eternity. He says, enter into your rest, right? Does that resonate with anybody? Is anybody, is anybody tired? Is anybody saying, you know, uh, I'm, I'm ready, God? Yeah. No, that, that God who loves you and who created you and who formed you and who knows your every need, what He has in store for you is that rest, an eternal rest. Don't picture rest in peace. Don't picture this death. Picture this unflagging strength, this unflagging relationship with the living God. Picture the Sabbath rest with this time. God set you apart. How are we going to recognize it if we don't practice it before then? And so, so I just want to invite you 
um, consider what you might need to cease doing and, and today especially thinking about embracing many other things, embracing this season of more intimate prayer in our lives and in our church life and, in, and for our city, that there might be some things that we need to stop first. We need to cease doing first. Cease striving. Cease working. And rest one day a week. But I can't say the word ceasing without hearing our memory verse. Um, thank you so much, Shelby, for reading that for us today. Our, our memory verse about things that are supposed to be unceasing, right? What in my life, according to the very Word of God, needs to be unceasing? Now, we've touched on some of these before, but let me just remind you again of our Scripture. Rejoice always. The Apostle Paul said, pray without ceasing. Give thanks, he says, in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Isn't that amazing? It's like, like God has put this tent over us of unceasing gifts, unceasing practices, which will allow us to experience Him in a deeper more intimate way. And, and though we'll deal with it another time, rejoicing is a critical. Choosing joy is a critical part of that. And though we'll deal with it another time, then, then also giving thanks is in all circumstances, not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances, is this precious gift of God to, to increase our intimate relationship with Him. But today I just wanted to... Just to Whittle down and, and, and focus on this middle, this middle one. Pray, he says, without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Well, what is prayer? If you haven't been with us, we've been trying to, to wrap our brains around that for a couple of weeks now. And, and let me just, just put out one definition right now. Prayer is intimate relationship. With the living God. That's different, isn't it, than a lot of times we think. We think prayer is talking to God. We think that prayer is asking things of God. And you're not wrong. That is a, a part of prayer, a precious part of prayer. But prayer is much larger than that. Prayer is about this intimate relationship with the living God that God has made a way for through Jesus Christ, His Son, it's about intimate communication, right? And it's intimate in, in terms of both what is communicated. God speaks to us. Just amazing truths. I've tried to, to draw that out of His Word when we, when we open God's Word. And so many times, maybe because of the language of the particular version that we're, we're using, or oftentimes because it's couched in, in the third person, talking about they, we don't realize that He's talking to us. But, but prayer is intimate in terms of what is communicated. You are my precious child in whom I delight, right? Not intimate communication. Who of us would not want to hear that from important people in our life? I love you. I delight in you, right? 
Who of us would not want to hear that? That's what God is communicating to us through prayer. It's intimate in terms of the content, what is being communicated. But it's also intimate in the terms of the way that we communicate. And I just, I just want to free you. I don't know why this imagery is in my head, but when you're building a, a building, oftentimes you put up scaffolding, right? And, and, and the scaffolding helps you build the building. The scaffolding has an amazing purpose, a critical purpose. But, but oftentimes, in terms of building an intimate relationship with God, we put up scaffolding, um, tools um, that help us move from A to B, but then hindered us because we never moved beyond B, right? Um, we, we teach our children to be grateful for the food that, that God provides. And oftentimes we start them with a very simple little limerick or something to help them remember to pray. But wouldn't that be sad if, if that was the extent of our relationship with God? The little limerick, right? I'm not, I'm not saying over the lips, past the gums, that one. I'm, I'm, I'm saying um, God is great, God is good, and we thank Him for our food, right? Those are great prayers. But that scaffolding is there to build an intimate relationship with God. It would be sad if all that was a legacy of our relationship with the living God was the scaffolding that helped us get there. So it's intimate in terms of what is communicated, but it's also intimate in terms of the way we communicate. What God wants to do is to speak with you. As a man speaks with a friend, right? He wants that intimate communication with you that goes way beyond rote prayers, that goes way beyond even words, right? I love it that, that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with, with groans too deep for words. We're kind of inviting us into that kind of intimate communication. It's so much fun when you love someone and maybe your wife or your children and, and, and you're with them long enough that, that you learn to read their signals, right? You don't have to communicate anything, right? <laughs> but think about you, Kathy, Kathy turns to dear friend and, and, and whatever Kathy's thinking is on her face, <laughs> right? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what Kathy Turner is, is thinking. But most of us, most of us are pretty subtle, right? And, and the longer we're in intimate relationship with them, we learn how to read. How to read that. Wouldn't it be awesome to experience that with the living God? To know what's on his heart without having to go back and open your word. And you're going to hear me in a little while say that's very important. Without having to bow our knees or fold our hands. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be in that kind of intimate communication all the time. That's the invitation of God to you. It is intimate communication. But it's so much more than that as well. It's also intimate community. Please don't lose sight of this. I'm sorry that I sound a little bit like a broken record, but God has always existed in community. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And communication between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that communication has been going on for eternity. What happened when God became flesh and dwelt among us was that God opened that 
communication to us as well. When Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, when he gave himself for us, he invited us into the community of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all others who have joined that community as well. Prayer is is intimate community with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and with other believers. Even more than that, and I'm sorry for all the commune words here, but it's co-unity, right? Co-unity in communication. It's co-unity in community. It's co-unity in communion, right? I'm, I'm speaking sacramentally here for just a second. But when we partake of the bread, which is Christ's body, then we, we are bringing His body into us. We're fulfilling Jesus' Prayer. I in them and them in us, God. When he's talking to his Heavenly Father, he prayed that we would have this communion, that we would become one, Christ in us and us in Christ, right? And us in Christ. God is inviting you to intimate communion with him as well. So what does it mean then? What does it mean to pray continuously? I, I have to, to be honest, when I, when I hear that from, from 1 Thessalonians, from the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, when I hear that, uh, I, it sets off some competitive button in me, and, and I want to do this, and then at the same time I'm very much afraid that I'll fail miserably at it, right? And I think... I'm not, I haven't thought this through very well, but I think it's because I always saw prayer as something that I do. And so I just need to do it more, right? I need to do prayer more. And the great fear, and if you know me very well, one of my fears is failure. I have a fear of failure. My fear is that I will fail God in this, right? And so, for many of us, when we hear pray continuously, we, we put up defenses because we do not want to fail. We don't want to fail at this critical aspect of our Christian life. A lot of us never enter into it because it just seems like an impossibility from the get-go. It, 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 you know, it might be, be something for Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or something, but praying without, without ceasing, that's an impossibility for me, right? Still others... We hear this command, pray without ceasing. We, we translate it to, to other things. Um, Christian, you're a runner. Um, can you jog without ceasing? You, you can. I think you run a marathon. You could do that for quite a while. Um, but we translate it into some physical kind of thing and say, well, wow, maybe, maybe I can grow to that place, but I'm not there right now. And so... Scaffolding after scaffolding falls. We realize, I can't do this. I want to suggest to you that that's not what he's talking about. He's not setting you up for failure. He's not just trying to say, add something to your to-do list. He's not, he's not speaking these words so that you somehow will fall short and, and, and cry out to him. It's not a call to do prayer, right? It's not a call to do prayer. It's a call to be a prayer. I cannot say those words without having a massive flashback. The 19, what was it, 82, and, and the death of one of my favorite musicians at that time. 
Keith Green. Does anybody remember that name? Keith Green. <laughs> we just dated ourselves, didn't we, Kathy? Um, oh, my goodness. He was a mess. Keith Green was a contemporary musician. In, uh, he became a Christian around 1975 and, and died in a plane crash in 1982. But in those seven years, wrote some of the music that we're still singing in worship today and, and affected many of our lives in, in powerful ways. His, his music was unrefined, honestly. As I, I looked at the, at the lyrics um, yesterday at, at um, some of his songs, I was struck by how rough they were, you know, how unpolished they were. They were, they were guttural, right? He was, he was seeking, speaking, singing out of his own experience. But one of his songs... One of his songs was called Make My Life a Prayer to You. Did you anybody remember that? I'm going to mess it up if I try and quote it, but it went something like this. Make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to, right? No empty words. No white lies. No token prayers. No compromise. Make my life a prayer. I think that this rash young guy who came to my campus, came to UCLA, stood at the top of Bruin Walk and said, you're all going to hell! To all the people that were walking on Bruin Walk, including all the, all the believers, and we're going, ah! But he understood something that I've been trying to grasp ever since. That prayer is not about doing, it's about being. It's not about doing, it's about being. Now, now, if you're like me, a lot of you right now are going, well, yeah, that, how does that work, right? We'll try and unpack that a little bit. But don't miss this, right? God is not setting you up to fail. He's not, he's not commanding you to do something that you can't do just so you'll feel bad about yourself. He's inviting you to think completely different about your relationship with Him and, and completely different about yourself. Prayer is a call to become what you were made to be. Prayer is a call to become what you were made to be. You were made for this, beloved. You were made for intimate communication, for intimate community, for intimate communion with the living God. That's why you exist. To commune and communicate with the living God, your Creator, right? But let's get practical for a second, right? Because it sounds really good. I want to be the prayer, right? It sounds really good. How do you do that? How do you do that? We sound kind of contradictory today, but I hope I can communicate in a way that brings life to you, in a way that opens doors to intimate relationship with God for you. How do I pray continuously over and over again the testament of both the Scripture the written Word of God and the, of Jesus Christ, the living Word of God, is that, is that to pray continuously, there's an emptying that must happen. We must empty ourselves of self. We must empty ourselves of self. That beautiful passage in Philippians chapter 3, when it describes the, I, I was about to say the, humbleness of Jesus, but the humiliation of Jesus, right? That at four levels, He chose humiliation so that He might become a path of life for us. 
in, in that beautiful passage, it says he emptied himself even of his right as, a, as a, the living God. He emptied himself of that so that he could understand and experience everything that we have experienced. So how do we empty ourselves? I, I chose this, this passage right out of the middle of the single greatest teaching the world has ever known, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. I chose this passage because it's really interesting that at the very beginning, at, at the very entry level, Jesus invited us to embrace four spiritual disciplines that help us empty ourselves of self and help us fill ourselves with something much better, right? And, and I just want to note that this is not natural to empty yourself, right? We still, even though we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we still are vulnerable to our old sinful nature, the old woman, the old man. Until that day when Jesus comes and says to us face to face, I don't know why I picture this, but like a mom holding her child's head in her hands. When, until he says to us, be glorified. We're going to struggle. We're going to struggle with self. And so we're going to need this, this gift of God to empty ourselves like Jesus emptied himself. How do, we, how do we do that? One way, he says, is to give. When you give. Now, I emphasize in the notes, I think, in italics, when, because, because Jesus didn't really spend a lot of time talking about how to give. He, he assumed they already knew how to do that, right? And, and in particular, what he's emphasizing here, though in other places, he and certainly the Old Testament emphasize the importance of tithing and, 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 and sacrificing, sacrificial giving to God through the local church. Right here he's talking about just giving to the poor. This is so timely in light of our opportunity to give to the poor through, through the potter's wheel. Uh, he, he's saying a regular part of yourself must be giving of your financial resources directly to those in need. Why? Why? I'm going to suggest to you that because you're breaking the power of money over you. You're saying, I will not be controlled by money. Is anybody else vulnerable to being controlled by money? I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, right? And I still find myself evaluating myself, evaluating my future, evaluating my security in terms of money, like the living God who loves me and is able to provide for my needs does not exist, right? And, and Jesus, knowing this, in the first four, there, there are many, probably 24 or 25 gifts of God in Scripture um, spiritual disciplines that you can embrace that will help you come to life. But when he was just starting out, he says, empty yourself of this love of money. Empty yourself. Give, right? And then he invites us uh, further down in, in Matthew 6.14. If you forgive, he says, forgiveness is another way of emptying yourself. What are you emptying yourself of? You're saying, I will not be controlled by anger. I will not be controlled by vengeance. I will not be controlled by my need to get back at the people that have hurt me. I'm going to empty myself of that need and trust. Put my trust in God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Not yours. It's mine. Your job. 
is to empty yourself of that need for vengeance, to, to uh, empty yourself of that anger and to forgive. Give and forgive. And a third one that he mentions there is, is, is fasting. It's fasting. And I really want to invite you to think about this in terms of even February. As many of you risk um, stepping into the gap on behalf of your neighbors, pray for them, but, but, but recognize also that, that you're being controlled by a lot of other things you might need to let go. Most of the, of the time in Scripture, when you hear fasting, it's speaking about fasting from food. And, and, and there is a beauty in that, as we saw in Jesus' temptation in Matthew 4 and other places. There is a beauty when you learn that by fasting from food, you can actually feast on the very Word of God, right? Fasting is feasting on God. Man shall not live, he said, by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, so by intentionally putting ourselves in seasons of 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 ceasing from even something as simple as food, um, then we, we put ourselves in a place where we can feast on God. Instead, certainly food is still a very critical aspect of it. I invite you, as you think about that, be very careful if you're on other medications. Just be careful with that. There are many other things that are addictions for us now, aren't there? Um, anybody else vulnerable to binging on a... I love these streaming things, Right? There's no commercials on them. Is that, how's that for self-justification, right? There's no commercials. In fact, I can hardly watch regular TV anymore because seven-minute runs of commercials, right? I, I don't particularly like using my phone because even if I pull up something on my phone, there's a commercial on it. Here's the problem. I can, I can sit there for three hours easily and binge-watch a program on TV, they are produced in deep ways. I'm moved by the music. I'm surprised by the plot twist, right? And, and, and then I, I struggle to spend an hour with Jesus. Right? I have a confession to make. Is it, can you ask for forgiveness before you sin? Is that, is that... I have a confession to make. Lord willing... I shouldn't have said that. Not just ended it. I'm going to watch a lot of football this afternoon. Right? Okay, a couple of fans out there, right? But I can do that at the drop of a hat. Commercials and all, right? Petulant millionaires and all, right? I can do that at the drop of a hat. You see, you see why it might be useful sometimes for, for seasons, not forever, for seasons to cease, to cease those things. I'm sorry. I'm remembering the year that I, that I fasted from TV when UCLA was in, in the March Madness. I'm going, what was I thinking? Right? I know that God will meet you. I know that God will bless you. I know that God will transform you if you risk not being controlled by your appetites or your addictions. Benign as they may be, they are still addictions, Right? I will not be controlled by my appetites or addictions. So how do we pray continuously? We, we empty ourselves of self, but we fill ourselves with something so much better. 
And if you miss this, you miss everything. It's not just about stopping doing things. It's about replacing that with something else. It's not about emptying yourself. It's about filling yourself to overflowing with something much better. And what could possibly be much better? A living relationship with God. Be filled with God. Let me pick up steam a little bit here. With the revelation of God. God has spoken. God is speaking. And God will continue to speak. How will He do that? Through His creation. Did you, did you notice after that rainy season that we had, there, there came one afternoon where the sun broke out, right? And, and it reminded me so much of the Northwest. Right, Because you can go eight or nine weeks in the Northwest without seeing the sun. And then the sun comes out and you do your happy dance. Right? I found myself doing that the other day when the sun... I thought, this is gorgeous. And everybody looked at me like, are you nuts? It's cold. And, and, but it was, it's gorgeous, right? God's creation declares His glory. And, 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 and Romans 1 says that, that every, everybody sees that. Everybody hears so that we're without excuse. God is speaking through His creation. His creation is is natural revelation. It's the revelation of God. But praise God, He didn't leave us to our own devices. What am I thinking? As I was driving yesterday, um, I I was just zooming from one place to another like I always do. And and I I noticed very low-hanging clouds at one point. Uh, It was very mysterious. And when when I got out of my car here at the church, I stopped and I looked and it was, it was, it was weird. It was mysterious. Uh, the, the clouds were moving and, and, and in just 15 seconds of stopping, I realized how this display of the glory of God was going on around me right then. And I was so darn busy, I wasn't paying attention. I was missing it. Well, the people in Israel didn't miss, miss, miss that. Did you happen to see that, Tom? Right about the time that, that they were lobbing missiles into Israel... A couple of weeks ago, um, this mysterious cloud formation came over the border between Israel. You saw that too? And it was phenomenal. They have pictures of soldiers standing there with their phones out, taking it. And, and the cloud formation blocked all the vision of the people outside of Israel. And the cloud formation stopped at the border of Israel. Coincidence, right? They didn't think so. Right at the time the missiles were being lobbed into Israel, the clouds blocked the vision of the people who were directing that. Now, did they still lob them? Oh, yeah. But it was phenomenal that right along the borderline, the clouds stopped. That's kind of what made me stop in the parking lot because it was those low-hanging clouds like that. I said, God, how many times have you revealed yourself? to me in glory all around me. And I was so darn busy. I was so moving so fast, God, that I didn't pay attention. God is revealing Himself through His creation, but He's also doing it through His Word. And so, as you empty yourself of your love of money, as you empty yourself of your anger, as you empty yourself of your appetites and addictions, fill yourself with God's Word. I know Initially, it seems strange. I've tried so many times to read Dostoevsky. I've tried so many tried times to read the Iliad and the Odyssey, right? And I'd not gotten very far because I just it wasn't familiar enough for me to dig in. Don't be dismayed. Um, as you spend time in God's Word, it becomes more and more familiar. You begin to recognize how God moves. You even begin to recognize how God speaks. But fill yourself 
with God through His Word, His written Word. Start with that. Just start small. Don't be overwhelmed and fail. I'm not adding a laundry list. Start very small. I just started with one psalm a day. Start with something. Start somewhere through His written Word. And then commit yourself, as you're doing right now, to hearing God's written Word spoken. Because the Holy Spirit does something, and I count on this every time I speak. I pray, God, take my words and transform them into your words. Even the words that I say, God, transform them so that each person that hears them hears what you want to say. God, um, His spoken word is a powerful way that God communes with you. Do not miss the most powerful way. The living word, Jesus Christ. If you miss Jesus Christ, you have missed everything. You can be an expert. And, and I love archaeology and I read all kinds of archaeology magazines and I read about all these famous, amazing brains that are applying themselves to archaeology about God and miss Jesus. They miss the whole point. I don't have any fear of science. I don't have any fear of archaeology. God and, and science, which is simple observation, they're going to come together in, in one glorious expression of truth. Um, you don't have to fear those things, but if you do those things and do not encounter the living word Jesus Christ, you miss everything. To a certain extent, you can shortcut this. You can go right to Jesus. You can cry out to Jesus in Jesus' name, by His authority, by His power. Oh, God, I want to know You. I put my weight down on Your Son, Jesus. What He did on the cross, what You validated through the resurrection, what He is doing in our midst even now. God, don't let us miss the living Word. The Logos, don't let us miss Jesus. Fill us sacramentally. Fill us prayerfully. Fill us, God, in every possible way with the presence of Jesus. And God will give you the praise and the glory in Christ's name. Amen. So fill yourself with the revelation of God, but ultimately what I'm asking and I'm inviting you to do Paul commanded it, but I'm inviting you to do is to be filled with the very presence of God through the living word, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus' gift to you as he, as he went to be with his heavenly Father. Fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. Fill yourself with the living God. Don't you think, come on up, worship team, don't you think that if we were able to focus a little bit more on the object of our prayers rather than the content of our prayers, are you following me? If, if, we, were, if we were cognizant of who we're praying to, right? And, and, and if we began to live into that relationship, the living God whom we're crying out to, we might, we might find ourselves praying a little more often, don't you think? We might find ourselves praying with a little more relish. We might take more moments 
each day to start in prayer. We might begin to live into this invitation to be a life of prayer. To have God make our, our lives a life of prayer. Don't you think if we focus a little bit more on, on who we're praying to, if we recognize the attention of our Almighty Father, if we recognize the merits of His Son who gave Himself for us, if we recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit, our helper in our weakness, then all of a sudden praying would not be an activity to do. Then all of a sudden pray without ceasing would no longer sound oppressive, right? But if prayer genuinely became communion with God, communion with this Father, communion with Jesus Christ, communion with His Holy Spirit, then we might hear this command a little differently. Can I try expressing this command a little differently to you? Enjoy God without ceasing. Depend on God today without ceasing. I'm thinking of a brother um, like like um, uh, Tom, Tom Tindall, struggling right now for life in Gateway Hospital with acute attack of pancreatitis. He's coding already once, but, but his, his words right now are, I'm going I'm to rely on God. I'm going to depend on God. Don't you think that we would depend on God without ceasing? What if the command were this? Gain strength from God without ceasing. And find Discover, beloved, that He's faithful. Discover, beloved, that He is true. Discover that He is worthy. Pray with me, would you? God, thank You for this sweet invitation to know You. To experience intimate relationship with You. Thank You for the way that You've made through Your Son, Jesus. Thank You for the constant reminder given to us of Jesus through Your Holy Spirit. That through them we say to you, you are worthy. You're worthy of unceasing prayer. You are worthy, God, of letting go of everything else that hinders and distracts us, the sin that so easily entangles. You are worthy, God, of courage to boldly approach your throne of grace in our time of need. Well, God, even as we worship you now, God, meet us. Invite us into this relationship. We'll give you the praise and the glory. In Christ's name.